Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters 9 through 15. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. And it's very similar to Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis chapter 19. The Benjamites want the priest. They want to rape the priest. They want him to throw the priest out. And instead, they throw out his female concubine, and she is raped all night long by the Benjamites. And her master wakes up in the morning, the Levite priest. He opens the door of the house. He is ready to go on his way. They're just lodging there for the night. And he opens the door, and his concubine is lying on the threshold of the door. And he says, get up, let's get going. But there was no answer. And he put her on his ass and the man rode up and went away to his home. She's dead, she's dead. And when he enters his house, the Levite took a knife. He laid hold of his concubine and he divided her limb by limb and cut her into 12 pieces and sent one piece of her body throughout each tribe in the territory of Israel. And he wanted to make a sign, see what the Benjamites have done. The ravenous wolves. This is what they did to my wife, my concubine. And he sent one twelfth of her body to each tribe. All who saw it said, such a thing has never happened or been seen from the day that the people of Israel came up through the land of Egypt until this day. They're saying, this is the worst thing we've ever seen in our entire life, what the Benjamites have done. This is horrible. It's very disturbing to the people. It's gone from bad to worse. The Benjamites are out of control. Their vial is beyond anything. So the men of Israel gathered together against the city, united as one man. The other 11 tribes are going to come up against Benjamin. This is the civil war. The tribe of Benjamin, they say, what wickedness is this? that has taken place in you. What is going on? And the Benjamites would not listen to the voice of the brothers of Israel, the other tribes. And the Benjamites came together out of the cities to go into a battle with all of Israel, all the other 11 tribes. They're the ravenous wolves, they're the Benjamites, they're the left-handed warriors. And it's a civil war. The Benjamites muster out of the city that day 26,000 men that drew swords, and they have 700 of their own men who are handpicked, and they're all lefties. They're all left-handed, and they could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. They are warriors, the Benjamites, and they're left-handed warriors. 700 lefties that could sling a stone and not miss a single hair on a head. Most warriors were right-handed. And you know lefties are useful, especially the tribe of Benjamin were known to be left-handed, whether it was genetic or whether they trained them. They were lefties. Remember Ehud, the Benjamite left-handed judge? It's always good when you're a coach or a commander in war to have some lefties on board, right? That's something people don't expect. Left-handed pitcher, a left-handed basketball person, or left-hand, you know. So the, the Benjamites had lefties. They're a left handed warrior. Remember this. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, devouring his prey. Among all these 700 left-handed, they could sling a stone. It's very ironic. You know why? The Benjamites, the left-handeds? Because Jacob changed Benjamin's name to right-handed. Remember the name Benjamin means son of my right hand. But his mother wanted him to be named son of my sorrow. Rachel's first name may have been more fitting for the Benjamites than the changed name of Jacob, son of my sorrows. 
not the right-handed son, because they're all lefties, and it's Judah who will get the blessing. So that's kind of an ironic play on words. Now, what happens is they are defeated. The Benjamites are soundly defeated by the other 11 tribes. The whole city goes up in smoke. I won't read all of this, but the, the bottom line is that all their women and children are killed because every Benjamite town is obliterated by the other tribes. And so there are no women left and no children left. And this is also where we get this prophecy. The Benjamites are Rachel's very own grandchildren and great-grandchildren, and they've been obliterated. And so, as Jeremiah says, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, because Rachel's weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because her children are no more. Son of her sorrows. We see that again in the Massacre of the Innocents. It's right by Rachel's tomb. My children are no more. Now, in civil war, the Benjamites almost got extinct. But remember when Boaz gave Ruth that warning about bad men in the fields and staying close by his guys? Remember that? Because he was referring to the Benjamites. Because the bookends of the judges are Benjamites. It's gone from bad to absolutely worse. Their wives have been wiped out. And they say, what are we going to do for wives now? We need wives. We're going to become an extinct tribe. But we need wives. And all the other tribes got together and said, nobody give Benjamin a wife. We will not. Cursed be anyone who gives a wife to Benjamin. And so the Benjamites got an idea. There's that yearly feast at Shiloh where those maidens come out and do the harvest dance. And so they hide in the thicket and they wait, they wait, they go and lie and wait in the vineyards at Shiloh and they watch for the women and the daughters of Shiloh come out to do their harvest dances and out of the vineyards come the sons of Benjamin and they seize the women, the daughters of Shiloh and they force them to go off to the land of Benjamin and repopulate their tribe. They are kidnapped. They are kidnapped by the Benjamites, seized, kidnapped and made to repopulate the tribe. So they took wives according to their number, the dancers, they carried them off. And the very last sentence of the book after that final story is, in that day there was no king in all of Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So it's very ironic that Israel's first king would be a Benjamite because we're in the very next book and the Benjamites have been so terrible. And, and now God's gonna raise up a Benjamite? The smallest of the tribes, the most humiliated tribe from the Civil War, the almost extinct tribe is going to be exalted to leadership? From Israel's smallest tribe, the most broken tribe would be raised a king. What that tells us is there, there's nothing, there's no one that's not redeemable. You know, whatever sin you've done, whatever failings you've done, there's no one that can't be raised up by God. His resurrection power alive in the Holy Spirit is so powerful when we repent. It answers Hannah's prayer. Remember Hannah, the mother of little Samuel, she prayed, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low, but he also exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes to inherit a seat of honor. Now one of their own Benjamites is going to be exalted to the king of Israel. They go from extinction to royal kingdom. The first king of Israel. Saul in Hebrew means asked for. And in the New Testament, there is another Saul and he is also a Benjamite. Do you know him? He's a Benjamite. He's a ravenous wolf. He devours his prey. Remember when he presided over the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, they laid the cokes at the feet of Saul. 
Remember, he was bringing people bound in chains back from Jerusalem to kill them, to make them stand trial in front of the Sanhedrin. He's a Benjamite. And Hannah's prayer says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. God will redeem this Benjamite. From his horrible sin, God will raise him up. God can do anything. God can make every man a new man. God can make every woman a new woman, no matter what you've done. This will become Paul. He'll get a name change from Saul to Paul. Paul means modest one, little one, small. So from Saul to Paul, from asked for to modest. Saul the Benjamite, Saul, Saul, why have you persecuted me? Hannah's prayer said, the Lord will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked he shall cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. He'll be cut off in darkness, and Saul the Benjamite was blinded for three days on the road to Damascus. Not in wickedness shall a man prevail. The adversaries, this is Hannah's song, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. So the arrogant are made low, the humble are exalted. Paul was so proud that he was a Benjamite. He said last year in Romans 11, I myself am an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham. I am a member of tribe Jacob, of tribe Benjamin. He's a Benjaminite of Benjaminites. He was proud of it, his tribe. So now we meet today this Old Testament Saul, the Benjamite, the first king of Israel. He's a man of Benjamin and he's a man of wealth. His father, Kish, is very rich. To the world's eyes, that's looking real good. Wealth, handsome. His name is Saul. He's a handsome man. There was not a man more handsome in all of Israel than he. He's tall, dark, and handsome. And the people like that. From the shoulders up, there's no one taller than him. It means he has an immense chest. He's tall in stature. Now, the asses of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the servants, go with you, arise and go look for the asses. So he sent on an ass chasing mission. Mission donkey, mission donkey. He sent on a mission to find his father's donkeys. They passed through Ephraim. They passed through the land of Shalishah. They didn't find them. They passed through the land of Shalahim. They didn't find them. They passed through the land of Benjamin, their land. They did not find them. No asses, no donkeys. And when they came to the land of Zuppah, Saul said to the servant who was with him, come, let's go back because my father is probably ceasing to care about the asses and he's getting anxious about us. We better get home. But the servant said to Saul, no, 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 no. We should go ask the man of God in the city. There's a man of God here. We should go ask him. But I don't have any money, says Saul. Well, I have a quarter of a shekel. Let's go. Let's go ask the man. Let's go ask the man of God if he has seen the donkeys. So the servant asked Saul, here's, here's, here's the shekel. And they go up to see, to inquire of the man of God. They go up the hill. There are women gathering water. They, they ask, have you seen the seer they used to call it? But now Saul is, uh, Samuel is the first prophet of God. Now we're calling them prophets, not seers. He is behold, he is just ahead of you. In haste, he's gonna, make haste because he's going to come to the city. He's out doing an offering today at the high place, at the altar. So as soon as you enter the city, you'll find him. He goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not eat until he comes. He must bless the sacrifice. And then afterwards, those will eat a meal who are invited. So go up and meet him immediately. So they went and they found Saul at the high place. And Saul had been revealed to 
Samuel by the Lord. And the Lord, in his prayer time, the Lord told Samuel, you're going to meet someone tomorrow at about this time. I'm going to send you a man. He's from the land of Benjamin, and you're going to anoint him. You're going to anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He's going to save my people from the hand of the Philistines. I have seen their affliction of my people. They have cried out to me, and he's going to give them a king. Here's the man I told you about. This is him. So Samuel gets that message from God that this is the guy. This is the guy. And so Samuel tells him, don't worry about, let all that go that's on your mind. Your asses have been found. They were found three days ago. Don't worry about them. He knows that from the Lord. They have been found. But God has big plans for you. He tells Saul, God is calling you. God has told me about you. And Saul says, and for whom is all that is desirable in Israel is not for you and, and for all your father's house? Saul said, I, I'm, I'm a Benjamite. Am I not a Benjamite? I'm from the least of the tribes of Israel. Is not my family the humblest, the smallest of all the families? Because they've just about been extinct. They have a horrible reputation from the time of the judges. Saul can't believe he's the one being elevated. Try Benjamin. Are you sure? God said me from this tribe. Are you positive? Why then have you spoken to me this way? So tribe Benjamin had been very humiliated in that civil war. They are the least. They are the smallest. And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall. He gave him the head place at the table. He had saved a certain portion of food just for him because the Lord had told him, I'll be sending the one I want you to anoint. And they had this upper portion, this fine portion ready and set aside. See that it is kept. It was set out before you eat it because you have to eat it. You might eat it with the guests. Saul ate with Samuel that day. When they came down from the high place, there was a bed already set for Saul on the roof where he was to lie down and sleep. At the break of dawn, Samuel called Saul on the roof, up that I might send you on your way. So Saul arose, both he and Samuel, they went out into the street. And as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass before us. And when he has passed, stop here by yourself so that I could make known to you the word of God. Now that might have reminded this Benjamite of another Benjamite he knew about, Ehud, the Benjamite we just talked about. Remember when he sent all the servants away and said, I have a message for you from God, come here. But that's not what Samuel wanted to tell him. They sent the servant away. Samuel took a vial of oil. He poured it over Saul's head. Samuel kissed him and said, has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord and you shall save them from from the hand of their enemies round them. And this shall be a sign that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. And it reminded me of Psalm 133, when behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like precious oil running down the head, running through the beard. A Benjamite, the enemy of the tribes, is being anointed with oil running down his beard. Saul has had a private anointing with the prophet Samuel. Saul has been chosen by God as the first king. It's a private anointing. Now, when you depart from me today, you're going to see two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin, your territory. They're going to say to you, the asses have been found. Don't worry about them. And so Saul has gone from one in one day from chasing asses to becoming the first king of Israel. Quite a day. Have you ever had a day like that? 
And he says, you'll go further down by the Oak of Tabor to, to meet God at Bethel. That's where Jacob had that ladder dream, right there. Three men, you'll see, three men carrying three kids, three loaves of bread, and a skin of wine. You'll get two of the loaves of bread, accept them from their hand. He tells them everything to do. You'll meet a band of prophets. And then the Lord God's going to come mightily upon you. And you shall prophesy with them. And you will know, when you see these three signs, you will know, Saul, that God is with you. And for seven days you shall wait. And then I will show you what to do. I will come after the seven days. Wait seven days. So he turned his back to Samuel. God gave Samuel another heart. God gave him a new heart. And all these signs came to pass on that one day. He met the prophets. The Spirit of God came mightily upon him. He did the prophesying. And people said, what has come over the son of Kish? What has come over Saul? He's a new man. And this happened to Steve Doran one time. Remember, honey? We were on the Sea of Galilee, and Matthew 14 was read, and Steve had a change of heart, and he became a new man, and he had this amazing experience on the Sea of Galilee, and he wanted to get out of the boat, and he wanted to get out of the boat, and he wanted to get out of the boat, and he gave his life again to the Lord, and when we got home, the kids said, what happened to dad? He's a new man. He had a new heart. So this is what happened to Saul that day. And Saul is among the prophets. And they said, Saul is among the prophets? Who's his father? Kish? You know, it reminds you of, is this Joseph's son? Is, is, this, is this Kish's son? Is Saul among the prophets? That became a proverb like a riddle. They just couldn't believe it. Where did you go? I went to seek the asses. Pray tell me what Samuel said to you. Now, Samuel is still upset that the people didn't want God as their king, that they wanted a human being because Samuel knew God was a way better king. Don't you remember what God did in Egypt? They constantly have to be reminded, don't you remember what God did? that God's your king. It's, it, there's always, um, it's a little K king. Saul is a little K, not a big K, not like a God king. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. The people don't know yet who God has chosen as king, and Saul is hiding behind the baggage. They inquire about the Lord, because remember that first anointing was just private, the two of them. Samuel's trying to tell the whole group, the tribe, the family, that God has chosen a man. He's among you. Oh, he's hidden himself among the baggage. But when he stands up, when they fetch him, he is taller than any of the other people. He's head and shoulders above the rest. He's tall, dark, and handsome. Do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him. And they all shout, long live the king. And they accept this good-looking leader as their king. Now, there'll be a lot of battles. I cannot go through them all in the time we have. But one, uh, the Ammonites were besieging the people, and they said that the Israelites could come along with them, but it will cost them. They'll have to gouge out the eye, one eye of each Israelite man. And the people are crying and wailing, and Saul gets wind of this, and Saul is outraged. He says, why are the people weeping? It's because their eyes are going to be gouged out. And uh, Saul takes a, a yoke of oxen, and he cuts them into pieces, and he sent them throughout all the territory of Israel. Does that sound familiar? It's like the woman that was cut up into 12, but he's, he cuts an ox and sends it to all 12 tribes, and he says, all of you have to come and help in this war. All of 12 of you. We have to do this together for Israel. And just like that story, he makes that threat because the tribe of Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. So the dread of the Lord came upon the people. Saul promises that by tomorrow we will be delivered, and they are. When they all join together, they are, and they renew their kingdom. Saul 
king, is made king before all the people. Now it's very public that he is their king. They have sacrificed to the Lord and Israel is rejoicing greatly. Samuel will give a farewell address because he's getting very old. He's the first prophet and he tried so hard to always love the people and he said, did I ever do anything wrong? Did I ever take your oxes? Did I ever take your asses? Did I ever defraud anyone? Did I ever oppress anyone? And they say, no, 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 no. Everything you did was good, Samuel. You have done nothing wrong. So his conscience is clear. He can say his farewell address, tell them to always love God with all their heart, all their soul, to never forsake the Lord. And I'm going to end. I want to tell you one more good story that I really liked. Okay. Remember Saul was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel to come back. Well, he waited seven days and exactly at 1201, he takes matters into his own hands. He can't wait anymore. He himself takes the burnt offering and the peace offerings and he offers it to God as if he is a Levite priest. So he's really taken matters into his own hands. He's getting a little uh, big-headed on this king thing. And Samuel had told him to wait, to wait until I come to you. And he can't wait. It's seven days, but he can't wait any longer. He lacks the virtue of patience. He lacks the virtue of obedience. And he doesn't listen to God's word. Very similar to the Israelites. Can't wait for Moses to come back down. And they have to take matters into their own hands and build their own God, Apis, the God of Egypt. And they have have a, they, they just can't wait. Saul is like that. He's not a priest, but he offers the priestly sacrifice, thinking he is the intermediary between God and man. And for this, he gets in trouble with Samuel. And Saul says, I forced myself to do this. I had to. I forced myself. And Samuel said, you've done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. If you would have, God would have established your kingdom forever. But now, because you did not, you did not, your kingdom will not continue. Because the Lord's going to search out a man after his own heart. A man after God's own heart. That's what he wants. Now your kingdom will not continue. You did not hear and obey God. And so they're going into another battle. And this time there is a supply chain issue. They do not have enough metal. There's no metalsmiths available. And they don't have weapons that they need to come up against the Philistines. And I'm going to abbreviate this again. But Jonathan, Saul's son, Jonathan, is fighting in a different area in these craggy rocks. And he has his armor bearer with him. And he says, come, let us go to the garrison of the uncircumcised, the Philistines, that that it may be that the Lord will work for us. Nothing can hinder the work of the Lord. So he really has faith in God. He's up against this little guy. Jonathan is up against this big garrison of Philistines coming at him. And he says, if we trust the Lord, if we listen to his word, it will go well for us. And the sign that he was waiting for from the Lord happened, and he advances on the Philistines, and it does work for him. The Lord sends an earthquake, and he takes 20 men by himself, basically, and there's a great panic in the camp and much confusion, and they don't know what's happening, and the earth is quaking, and Jonathan, Saul's son, did listen to the word of God. I'll end it with this little story about the honey. Saul has put a curse on his own people. Cursed be any man who eats food until evening 
until I, and Saul is saying, until I win the war, cursed are any of my soldiers who eat anything of food. Not a, not a drop. He puts this curse on his own men. Well, Jonathan, who's come back from this battle on his own trusting God, sees that there's honey dripping from the trees in the forest, and he starts eating the honey. And his eyes become enlightened. His eyes become bright. And the people are like, oh! they're mortified because your father said we can't eat anything. And you ate honey. You're not supposed to eat anything. Your father said a curse of death would come upon you if you eat. And, and Jonathan thinks that's ridiculous. Saul had told his soldiers that they could not eat. But when Jonathan eats the honey, his eyes become enlightened. Now, this, in the spiritual sense of scripture, took me right back to God told his own children not to eat or a curse of death would come upon them. What Saul's doing is Saul is playing God. There were two trees. One was the curse of death, the other the blessing of life, eternal life. And when they ate, their eyes became opened and enlightened. Remember, Eve, their eyes became opened. They ate from the tree of death. Why? They went against God's word. God told them to eat life and they ate death because they wanted to be their own little G God, like Saul wants to be his own little G God. And it worked. It worked for Adam and Eve because behold, the man has become like us. He's God, the Trinity's talking. They say, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good from evil. Their eyes have been opened. Bye-bye. Go on, go on now. Be your own gods. He has to kick him out of the garden. You can be your own gods. See how that's working for you. The serpent had said to the woman, you will die. It was a lie. God, God's word is true. The serpent's word was a lie. God's words were to eat freely from the tree of life and live forever. But they listened to Satan's word instead of God's word. And their eyes were opened and they were enlightened when they ate and they got separated from God. All they knew was goodness, every good and perfect gift that the Father had given them. But now they know evil. Their eyes have been opened and they know evil. God never wanted that. Saul tells the people they cannot eat anything, anything. What is happening? Saul is being his own God. He has made a very rash vow with a curse of death attached to it, to his own people, his own soldiers who need energy to fight the Philistines and he's telling them they can't eat. Who is Saul to give out rash curses and control life and death? Telling his soldiers they cannot eat until his battle is won. Jonathan, who is trusting God's word in battle, doesn't get little G God Saul's memo about not eating and Jonathan eats that honey and his eyes are open. He has trusted God's word. Why? What's honey symbolic of in the Bible? The psalmist tells us, O oh Lord God, your words are sweeter than honey, honey from the comb. How sweet are your words, O oh Lord, to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. Jonathan is not going to drop over dead because Saul's curse doesn't work because Jonathan has listened to God's word and gone in battle against the Philistine. And God's word is sweeter than honey. And he's welcome to eat all the honey he wants. And God will enlighten him and brighten his eyes and not kill him because he has listened to God's word. So to hear and to obey and to obey is better than sacrifice. Let's pray. Lord God, we just ask for the grace to obey your word. We hear it. We come here week after week. We hear it. We hear it. We hear it. We hear it. But help us to obey it, Lord. And when we fail, give us the courage to go confess our sin and to be made a new man with a new heart and a new mind. Help us always stay cheek to cheek with you and heart to heart with you. Give us new hearts. 
Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the first book of Samuel, chapters 9 through 15, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.